Hello. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Directions podcast. Um, today, we're here with Michael Sheen. Um, Michael, it is such a pleasure to have you here with us today. We're thrilled to have you on the show. It's um, my pleasure so to be here. Thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. Great. A little introduction. Uh, my name is Faye Louise. We are representing Direct Shifts. We also have Raj on the on the background helping us out with all of the tech side of, of everything. Um, and today we'll be here exploring the art and science of persuasion in relation to marketing. Um, by way of a, a short introduction, because he'll do a much better job of introducing himself than I will, Michael Sheen is a best-selling author, international speaker, entrepreneur and founder, uh, although he is most well-known for being an expert in all things hype and has actually just released a book on the Hype Handbook. So we'll come back to that in a moment. But in terms of just setting the tone and the pace for today, um, we'll be here for about 25, 30 minutes. Conversation is going to be open and free-flowing. We'll start by looking into Michael's journey, a little bit about his background, um, sharing, and then he'll be sharing some insights around marketing, crowd dynamics, and the practices and ethics of persuasion, which for me is going to be very exciting. Um, we'll then walk, we'll walk away after the call with some tactical approaches um, for how you, you can apply uh, tactical, tactical approaches of ways that you can build your own personal brand or things that you can apply to growing and building your business. Um, throughout the call, please feel free to jump in with any questions that you have as you're listening. We love to bring the audience in to be involved and engaged with our podcasts as always. Um, so cool. We'll jump into it. Michael, uh, let's start with a little bit about your background. We'd love to share, please share some insights of your journey with us that brought you here today. Well, again, thank you for having me, Fay Louise. It's really great to be here. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the official short story is very similar to, uh, what Fay Louise said. I own a marketing agency called Microfame Media. We work with any companies that are idea driven. So we're probably not the best companies in the world, or the best agency in the world to work with, say a sheet metal you know, producer, but any kind of service provider or technology company that's backed up by a very strong idea, we're very good at taking that company and making them the leading authority in their niche. Um, and you know, I, I guess we can talk more about this, but I never wanted to be a business person. I wanted to be a novelist or play in a band. And um, I'm sort of an accidental business person, but I applied a lot of the lessons that I learned from that old life to um, sort of see marketing more like what I call hype, just getting a large emotional reaction from a large number of people to drive a certain action. And um, it ended up turning into a business, and and um, it's a very fun path that I never expected to be on. Great, thank you for sharing. I can actually relate to that quite a bit myself. I come from a, a fairly creative background, but I always wanted to pursue the side of business, and so studying economics and then working in innovation for over ooh, six years now, closer to a decade. Um, I've found that the creative mindset and parts of my personal life that are super creative have always helped me in uh, the way that I approach business, yeah, whether it's decisions, teams, anything like that. Um, so when it comes to hype, unpack this for me, Michael. What do you mean when you say to, to be a hype artist? I'm fascinated by this term. So if we could explore that a little bit, that would be fun. 
Yeah, so I am well aware that for most people, the word hype is a negative thing. I mean, for, for most people, when they think of hype, they think of sort of generating a lot of, you know, bluster around, you know, something that doesn't really have much meat to it, right? And there's one community, however, where that's not the case, and that's the world of hip hop. If you if you look at hip hop, especially hip hop, you know, 20 years ago, there was always a character called a hype artist, and it was the idea that this person in a rap group would be responsible for generating, you know, attention and energy around the band, and they would lead the street teams, and they would just get, you know, um, people interested in in the group. And and you still hear that term today in hip hop. Hyping something up is a positive thing. So to me. Hype is not positive and it's not negative. It's not moral or immoral. All I define it as is any set of activities that get a large number of people highly emotional so they'll move in the direction that you want them to. And the reason I use hype instead of marketing is because even though marketing should be that same thing, so often when we talk about marketing now, people focus on the tools. They, they talk about search engine marketing or A-B testing or marketing automation. Whereas what we really should be starting with are the mass psychology principles. What get human beings extremely emotional and, and, and you know, get them into a transcendent state so that you can move them. And, and so that's why I kind of consciously use the word hype instead of marketing. Great, thank you for explaining. So do you, what I'm hearing is that some people take the concept of viral, whether good or bad, and maybe hype is seen in a sort of connotation with that. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I would say there's, there's some similarity. I mean, I think viral is all about spread. You know, it's the idea that now people use it for everything. But the original idea was that if you put a piece of content out on the internet and each person who sees it shares it with two or three people, then it'll grow exponentially. And sadly, that term isn't as fun anymore with the pandemic, but the pandemic works the exact same way. If each person infects 2.5 people, then it becomes a worldwide pandemic, right? Um, hype can be viral, but it's really, um, it's the idea that human beings are not wired to see the world accurately. We're wired to see it in a way that gets us to... Um, you know, survive and, and reproduce. And, and so we're bombarded with a huge amount of information every day. And we use kind of mental shortcuts to understand that information. We're also very wired to behave in a group setting and bond strongly with people we perceive to be like us and, and kind of not be aligned with people we perceive to be differently. So the idea is how can you use those very human primal tendencies in an ethical way to generate a lot of attention and emotion to your ideas. So part of that leads to virality, but it's a lot more than that. Yeah, right. Then that takes me into a really interesting area, I guess, which is the pandemic. So as you mentioned, humans are very emotional creatures. We are very social and yeah. we do need to be a part of a group or feel a part of something. And I think that's what a lot of business is. Business now, people have to feel really connected to what they're doing right. and building and be a part of something it to have meaning and purpose in their life that's absolutely the point for me <laughs> Sure, um, 100%. and so how do you think the pandemic has possibly created opportunities and a new approach towards marketing or this concept of hype you know for you has it changed throughout the the pandemic and seeing people in such isolation that we 
have never experienced before? It's a great question. Um, and, you know, if I'm honest, I'm living it right alongside of everyone else. And I'm a human being subject to the same emotions as, as everyone else. But I am, I am, I have thought a lot yeah, about I it. I'm going to finally have the answers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, how, however, I have thought about it, you know, and, and I think there's a couple of things. I think on one hand, if, if my concept, the way I define hype, the way I see hype, if it's about anything, it's about seeing the world the way it really is rather than how you wish it were. You know, a lot of times people will say things to me, well, I don't want to learn about people's inaccurate way of perceiving the world and getting them emotional and worked up about something because I shouldn't have to, you know, my, my work should stand on its own merits. I shouldn't have to learn from unsavory individuals. Um, but you can either accept the way human beings really are and accept the way the world is, or you can feel bad about that and kind of live in, in a world that you think ought to be the way the world is. But if you do that, you, you, you probably won't succeed because the way the world is, is the way it is. So you should have an ethical code and a moral code and then try to understand how the world really is. So all that to say, I feel the same way about the pandemic. I mean, a lot of people are very burnt out for good reason. And they're, and they're feeling resentment for good reason. They're saying the world, things weren't supposed to turn out this way. I had a certain business plan and it wasn't supposed to turn out this way. And that's not fair. And that's a drag and that that's things, but it turned out this way. I mean, you know, things, things happen. I mean, and so it's a function of, can you find opportunity in that less than, than, um, ideal situation. And then I guess on a on a purely like subject matter level, a, a lot of what I've studied um, for this idea of hype is about crowd psychology. So it's about, uh, you know, how do humans behave in crowds differently than they behave as individuals? And when we think about crowds, or at least I did, I always thought about in-person crowds, right? Like you, you see a mob or a concert or a mega church. It turns out, though, virtual crowds behave a lot like in-person crowds. You get the same positive and negative sort of irrational thinking. Um, and the pandemic has accelerated that because we've all been trapped at home. So you might think, oh, you know, the mob mentality is going away. The crowd mentality is going away. But if anything, it's accelerated. Yeah, interesting point, actually. Um... And for me, I mean, I think everyone's had a different experience with how the pandemic has affected the way that they work and the business that they run or the business that they work in. Um, and I've, in my experience, I saw a lot of people were either growth mind mindset and mentality from day one through this pandemic, and then others had to sort of adapt and adjust to it a little bit right. more with a little bit more time. Yeah. Um, but one th question I have for you, Michael, is around this concept of, of persuasion um, and the ethics of persuasion. So what, in your experience of studying this, the concept of hype and all the different ways that you've, um, the research that you've done to build out this book and this career path for yourself, where do you see in your experience the fine line between storytelling and persuasion? And maybe they overlap in a few different ways, but in terms of creating that emotional connection through marketing uh, tools or, or brand building, where do you see the roles of storytelling coming into play and then persuasion? I feel like 
a lot of these terms are exactly that. They're just terms. So persuasion is the way a certain group of people have defined, I guess, getting, you know, individuals to do what you want them to do. Storytelling is, is just that. It's telling stories. But a lot of marketers of recent years have figured out that people respond better to stories than they do to, to hard cold facts. And then hype in general, I tend to define more as sort of uh, a, a bigger picture thing, like getting large numbers of people to um, follow you. But these are all artificial designations. You know, the, 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 uh, there's a lot of persuasion and hype. There's a lot of hype and persuasion. There's a lot of storytelling in both. So, you know, I think that, um, yeah, I, I guess that's where I would leave it. I, I think that um, they're really all just people's definitions, you know, and I think that we use definitions because they're useful in understanding the world, but ultimately you've got to get under the hood a little bit and figure out whatever the person teaching persuasion or influence or hype or storytelling, what do they really mean? Because storytelling means something different to one person than it does to another. And all those other terms are the same, I, I believe. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely agree. Um, and then, so I'd love to learn a little bit more about your book. So were there any specific events or catalysts that led you to deciding, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write a handbook on hype. Um, yeah. <laughs> would love to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah, let me let me see if I can give the short version of this story. Um, so um, I, I mentioned before that I was um, an artsy kind of uh, young person. And in particular, when I left college, I told my parents to their very deep dismay that I was going to go to New York and be in a band and, and like try to like change rock and roll, which is ridiculous. But I was 22, you know, <laughs> but um our band was kind of like came out of the punk rock movement. And, um, and we were also into things like Bowie and Devo. And these were all very theatrical and mischief making kind of movements. So like the thing about punk is that um, it was all about getting attention. It's all about getting people worked up into emotional state and rocking the boat and that sort of thing. So even though I never became a rock star, um, we did better than I think my parents thought we would. And most of that was because we hyped things up and we never, we didn't know from the world word marketing. We, but we would say, let's hype up this show. We would say that a lot. So like, for example, um, we got on ourselves onto Showtime at the Apollo, which um, for the non-American viewers is a show um, that takes place at the famed Apollo theater, where if they don't like you, they take great pleasure in booing you off, you know? And we knew we would be booed off. We were like exactly the opposite kind of music that that they liked. And but we let we got ourselves on for that purpose, and we got a lot of attention. Um, we used to put posters up that said uh, "Dave Matthews must die," you know. So we would do these very um, attention-getting things, and we built up a big following. I mean, we we sold out Arlene's Grocery a lot. We had a residency. Um, we were on the cover of New York Press. But when that whole thing folded um, and broke up. I got a corporate job and I ended up being there for about 10 years until I couldn't stand it anymore. Um, and eventually I left and I had this idea that I was going to be a uh, corporate copywriter because I was a good writer. I'd always been a good writer. And I figured that if I, um, 
you know, could write business material. I was good. So people would hire me and that was it. And it turned out that I had a really hard time getting clients. I, I tried all the typical marketing. I tried SEO. I tried just everything you could think of that was standard marketing stuff. And it didn't work very well for me. And then at a certain point, I, I, I actually walked by that club, Arlene's Grocery in New York. And I remembered what we used to do. And I was like, I used to be a good marketer. Why am I not good anymore? And it was because I wasn't thinking of things in this playful, colorful way, which was more hype. And I was thinking of it as, as an adult, you know, as a marketer. So I tried to shift my focus and I started like picking fights with prominent gurus. I started being theatrical and my storytelling. I started studying unconventional attention getters and it started to work. I started to do well. I built a, a really successful uh, writing um, business and that turned into an agency. So um, I guess years later when uh, I, I saw some really nefarious people using these strategies to advance ideas that I didn't think were good ideas, it just occurred to me that it that it was really important to teach well-meaning people, A, to make the case that hype can be used for good, not just evil, and then to teach the people with good ideas and beneficial causes and all of that how to use it. Because the bad guys already get it. They come to it very naturally. So that just became, it started out as a small idea and it just became really a very obsessive, you know, project and mission for me. Yeah. Well, there's no time like a pandemic to have that time to really put the, the to create the book that you've been thinking about doing. Um, I would love to hear how you see this concept of, of hype in, in the concept of growth hacking, because these both fall under the umbrella of marketing. And over the last few years, hacking growth through tools like SEO um, and through metric-driven analytics of I guess trying to connect with humans or get that engagement, but putting a measurable indicator on that. That is what growth hacking is, is for me in a lot of ways. So is hype in different to growth hacking? Is it a form of growth hacking when it comes to marketing? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I think of hype as as really based on age-old principles. So that that there are all of these people ranging from growth hacking marketers to CEOs to ancient cult, you know, founders of religions to cult leaders. And they do all of these different things, good, bad, and in the middle. But if you strip the content out of what they're doing, the psychological and sociological principles behind what they do are similar. And my goal was to sort of distill that out. So like, are there unifying principles and can they be taught? When I think of growth hacking, to me, the, the most kind of the the um, kind of the origin story of growth hacking goes back to Hotmail, where they wrote an email or where they created an email service and a, a free email service. And at the bottom of every email, because at the time, email was typically a part of a paid service and they created the first free email service. And at the bottom, it said this email was sent by Hotmail, the free email service. And here's how you can sign up. So it was like the... DNA was built into the technology. So when I think of growth hacking, and again, there's always overlap between this stuff, but I think about how do you build the mechanism for spread into the thing itself, right? So it's like, um, you have, I don't know, an old version of this would be magazines where the, um, 
subscription forms fall out. Like that's done on purpose. It's all, everyone's been annoyed by that, right? You pick up a magazine, the thing falls onto the ground and that's really annoying, but they do that on purpose because they want, it's like a seed, like what those, you know, it's like when the wind blows the seeds, it, it goes all over. Or when an animal eats fruit, it goes mm-hmm. to the bathroom or whatever that's called. It, not the actual bathroom, but nature's <laughs> bathroom and growth hacks the tree, right? So th- that's how I see growth hacking. Okay. Interesting. I've never realized how annoying that is with magazines, but yes, now it, makes, yeah. now it makes sense. The method works. The yeah. There yeah. usually is. Um, so are there any other, for our audience listening in, and then for myself as well, are there any tactics or strategies or tools that people can use that you would recommend, maybe top three, anyone who's building a business or their yeah. own personal brand that could apply to, to those now in this concept of hype? Sure. Yeah. Um, or just generally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I would say that one that's extremely vital is something I call make war, not love. And what that basically means is drawing lines in the sand and picking fights. And that doesn't mean being a troll and being aggressive, but human beings are very drawn by taking sides. Whether you think you're in that club or not, you are. Every human being is. And there's been a lot of research on this. So instead of talking about why your ideas and products are so great. If you can talk about what ideas you're against and how your products and services stand as an antidote to those bad ideas, um, that's a really important thing. That's how you can, that's how you really develop your contrarian point of view, like your point of view that, that you can base everything else around. Um, I would say a, a second one that I think is really important is something I call building a secret society or the piggybacking method. Um, And what that really means is everyone talks about like the stuff you're talking about, growth hacking, viral marketing. And and that assumes that it's important, but it also assumes that you're building this audience person by person by person on this very grassroots level. And while that's important, what you'll find if you dig in is that some of the most or most of the most successful, not just hype artists, but marketers in general, really sophisticated um, success stories they make it look like their growth is completely grassroots but what they do is behind the surface they build this network of people who will pull strings for them and who they'll pull strings for and there's a lot of ways to do that so this idea that everything has to be based on like surface level marketing seo or growth hacking or or social media that stuff is good but without that underlying like group of influential people behind the surface, um, it, it usually doesn't, you know, go very far. And then I would like to, a lot of people talk about storytelling. And and what I like to think about instead of storytelling is theatricality. Because when people talk about storytelling, which is important, however, a lot of times they don't really know what that means. So they just start telling stories. They'll talk, oh, my bleach is wonderful. And I used my, ble- you know, I created my bleach company in 1992 and it was really good bleach and, you know, or whatever. And, and it's like, who cares? We don't really want to hear a story about bleach. But if you think of theatricality, drama is all about tension and release. I mean, everyone thinks of theatricality as like big spectacles, but really the ancient Greeks had theater where there were no props at all. But it's about, you know, building up anticipation and having tension and then release and giving people a little more. So 
for a good example of that is instead of slapping your call to action and your URL and your hashtag on everything, which most, most marketers tell you you should do, imagine if you just created a poster or some version of that that just said blank is coming, you know? Hype is coming, punk is coming, this is coming, or how the Wu-Tang Clan used to just put yellow W's at eye level everywhere in Staten Island. And no one really knew what it was for months, but it was the talk of the town. And then when they put their album ads, uh, you know, ads for their albums, I was like, oh, wow, that's what this has been about all the time. So using the, the um, sort of the techniques of drama and theater is, is, is quite important. People respond pretty well to that. And suspense. And suspense. That's exactly right. What is this thing? What is coming? I need to know about it. That's right. Um, That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing those, Michael. I'm definitely going to apply apply some of those and go back and take all of those SEO tools out. No, I'm just. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would use those too. Yeah. Um, And so then, my last question before I'd love to reach out to the audience, see if anyone has any questions for you. Um, But. If we look at the world of um, health tech and in med, med tech or just the medical field and profession, which has been under so much pressure with, with this pandemic, um, anyone that is working in telemedicine or telehealth or teletherapy and working in such an intimate, is used to working in, uh, in a very intimate profession with people at such a close level of, of human connection that are patients that are sick or whatever, them being in a virtual setting um, and then applying these tools, whether it's to their business or to their personal brand as an independent practitioner and still being ethical, you know, not just creating some concept of trying to get attention but being very careful in the way that they do it, especially in a sensitive field like med- medicine. You know, is there anything that you would shine some light on that way of um you know, just people to be mindful of because that's a lot of our audience is in that industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I can't, I can't stress enough that there's nothing unethical about what I'm talking about. So I, I'm a big believer that you should learn from whoever you can learn from. So if someone is getting huge amounts of attention for their religious cult, you can either say to yourself, "This is a horrible religious cult." So I'm not going to learn anything for them. Or you can say, this religious cult is a bunch of garbage and it's harmful. Yet, the leader of this cult got thousands of people to follow this ridiculous belief. What is going on there? I mean, how did they get it? And is it just because people are idiots? It's usually not because people are idiots, right? Is it because, well, let's think about it. Did they use theatricality? Did they use, you know, picking fights with ideas? Did they use these things? And then you can say, okay, I have an ethical code, right? My ethical code is I don't deceive people. You know, some hype artists do, bad hype artists. I don't lie in, in my business. I mean, we all have lied in our lives, but in we, we're rigorous about never saying anything that's not 100% true. So can I create hype? without lying? Can I create hype without disclosing people's health information? Because there's nothing moral or immoral about any of this stuff. It's, it's, it's just about mass psychology. And I may use colorful examples to prove the point because it's more fun. But 
my whole thing is if something can be used to sell garbage, imagine if what it could be, what that same psychological, like those same psychological dynamics could be used to sell something worthwhile. And I think the people doing great work in the world, which include many people in the healthcare business, um, owe it to us to more effectively drive attention to their products and, and not their products, but their services, their products, their platforms. Thank you for, for that. Sure. Um, and I think it's just, you know, a lot of people, it's a lot of things are red tape. It's quite taboo in the way that you promote yourself if you're a practitioner or something. So as people need to look at these new technological or innovative tools of how they can do that, in my experience, people have often been a bit receptive to things that are maybe very new to them and a new way of attracting yeah. attention. But um I completely agree with you. I would say I'm going to add a caveat then to that. <laughs> Remember, the, the the threat is not only there are two kinds of threats. One threat is that you're going to take a risk and lose what you've got, but the other threat is that you'll be disrupted. So the world is changing very quickly, and while you might be doing perfectly fine with the techniques you're using. Imagine if someone comes up with a new solution who's very good at driving emotion and attention to that solution. And I can give you 10 examples of where that's happened. You can be put out of business overnight if you're not armed to be forward thinking and new. And that's not just about hype. That's about anything. People will say to me, yeah, there's a lot. Same way what you're saying. It's red tape. We're a very slow moving industry. We're doing fine how we are. Uh, okay, that's nice. But what happens when the new player comes in? and you haven't done anything new in, in five years. I mean, I'm seeing that with the publishing industry now. They've done things the same way for many years. They're slow moving, that you know, this and that. And you have all these hybrid publishers coming in and Amazon and this and that and just killing them because people say, well, you know, we're a hollowed tradition. So, you know, it's a choice to make, but um, you, you don't want to turn into Blockbuster or Kodak. Absolutely. And my favorite economist, which actually was responsible for changing my career in finance over to economics, was Joseph Schumpeter. Not sure if you're familiar with oh, him. I'm not, yeah. His concept of creative destruction is no, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I am familiar with that concept. That's right. So you worked with him directly? No, I didn't. I oh, him and I wrote that in my yeah. papers. <laughs> that's, very, that's cool. I'll have to read his work. That's a great Yeah, concept. no, he's great. Yeah. He was essentially is known as the founding father of innovation as a concept. Um, but I think for me, I could chat with you for hours and ask you a million questions. <laughs> yeah, I'm enjoying um, it as well. Let's see. I want to hand it over to the audience and maybe Raj can jump in here. Raj is our content wizard that helps me with all things on the back end. The technical side. Um, Raj, do we have any questions from you or from the audience? Uh, I think Sai mentioned that there's a couple of questions. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, those are the what I had mentioned is about uh, uh, the pathologist interview. But uh, Michael, I have one question. Um, thank you so much for the valuable insights, the golden 30 minutes which you uh, had shared with us so far. Um, now, this question would be again for mainly clinicians and the hospitals. Now, we know lots of um, the hype marketers in the world of social media, like the way you mentioned. Now, if a clinician or probably if a healthcare leader needs to take that approach of being 
uh, a high player or probably he wants to impact millions of lives in the world of marketing. Uh, can he use the same strategies which you mentioned in the Hype Handbook or do you have anything specific for clinicians or somebody in the healthcare space? I mean, again, you know, th these strategies are about pure human psychology. I use the word hype because it's a way for me to attract attention and, and, and sell books. You know what I mean? But really what this is about is that human beings are wired to respond to stimuli in the same way over and over again. So no matter who you are, a clinician, a doctor, uh, 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 someone who sells artisanal beef jerky, like it doesn't matter. You have two choices. You can either deal with human beings as they really respond in the world and as they really get attracted to things, or you can respond to them in a fantasy way. So if a clinician wants, it depends what the clinician's goal is. I mean, if the clinician wants to build a small group of clients through word of mouth, many people have done that. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I mean, why not? If you do great work, and you need only a certain amount of revenue and your clients stay with you for a long time, I see no problem with that. But if your ambitions are to create a movement or to create a very big practice or are to um, bring attention to ideas that could improve public health in a very big way, um, it's not about hype, it's about getting human beings to be attracted to your ideas based on what really works. So like, in other words, um, I know some people at the NIH right now, and they're actually interested in me, you know, in some of our ideas. I just did a talk over there um, because, and there's no more like hallowed group than the NIH, right? I mean, the NIH is the National Institute of Health, but look what just happened. You, you had a bunch of people who were very skilled at drumming up attention around some really bad ideas in the health space who, and the NIH wasn't up to the task, you know? I mean, so the NIH did a worse job of getting their message out about wearing masks, about public health, than the conspiracy theorists did. And as a result, they're talking to people like me because it doesn't matter whether it's a high class profession or whatever, people are dying because they weren't as effective at getting their message out, right? So it's just a function of what your goals are. Thank you. Thank you, Michael, uh, for giving us a different perspective from marketers' world. Um, so for everybody uh, who is watching the replay or who is going to hit the replay, you will also be able to watch uh, small snippets of this entire conversation between Faye and Michael through our social media channels at DirectShifts. Most of it will be through LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. Uh, so please do catch this entire conversation again or on our Google podcast and Apple podcast. You'll be able to get the recordings of the same. Uh, you can watch the replay or leave in your feedback. We'll be waiting to hear from the, uh, you. And Michael, uh, if anybody wants to reach you out, uh, what is the best way anybody uh, can get in touch with you? Sure. Um, so there are a couple of ways. I mean, my personal website is michaelfshine.com. So it's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-F-S-C-H-E-I-N.com. Um, my webs, my, uh, you can always email me. My email is mfs uh, at microfamemedia.com. Um, 
obviously. Uh, the other thing is, um, I you know, I read a lot of very weird books. You know, everyone reads kind of the typical business books like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and they're all very good. But um, I, I, I study a lot of, um, you know, biographies of, of mass persuaders and crowd psychology books. And so I regularly share recommendations of those books that I'm reading um, through something called hypereads.com. And people seem to like that a lot. They, it's a good way to learn and keep in touch with me. And I always respond to emails that people send back to me. Well, that's very interesting. I am very much looking forward to reading You should that. sign up. Yeah, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's kind of a little community. Yeah, great. Cool. That's good. Hyperreads.com. Thank you, uh, Faye. Over to you. But thank you so much, Michael, for joining us. In Thanks, Ross. If you have any more questions, we can still take that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Michael. We'll wrap it up there. Uh, Michael's details are there. I'll, I'll be in that community very soon. Awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> so I look forward to seeing you there. Well, thank you for the great interview and the great questions. Thanks, Michael. Enjoy the rest of your day. You do the same. Bye. Bye. Thank you all.